of sports and hip hop with DJ Mad Max. We are welcomed by the legendary, one of the greats, one of the greatest actors and directors in this business. And he certainly deserves his flowers. Bill Duke. Bill, how are you doing tonight? God bless you, my friend. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate this. Of course. And I see you have a deep cover poster in the background, a classic that you directed. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, that's one of my posters. That's right. Is that an original copy, actually? Yes. One of the originals. That's one of the originals. Yeah. That I know what people that collect movie posters, they always look for the original prints. I know. I know. They're rare these days. Yeah. <laughs> and expensive at times, especially if they're classics like that. Mm-hmm. Gems. How have you been maintaining during the pandemic and all the way into current times now, especially with the Duke Media Foundation? Because I know that you do hold classes and stuff for the youth. Uh, yes. Uh, the COVID has definitely put things into question and has, you know, forced me in a positive way to be self-reflective. Because mm-hmm. quarantine, you know, Looking in that mirror every day is a good thing. Yeah. Making peace with yourself internally, you know. And in terms of the foundation, we're still working it out because not every parent wants their child to come to live sessions. So we have some children coming and then some virtual. Mm-hmm. We're still trying to work it out, man. It's just, it's, to be honest, it's challenging, but we're still yeah. trying to work it out. When did this whole Duke Media Foundation, since we're in the, getting into this now early, when did the whole Duke Media Foundation come about and you wanting to help the youth out? Almost 10 years ago, man. I, if I have any legacy to leave, I want to leave something that enables our children to be successful, not in spite of what we leave them, but because of what we leave them. And so I start the foundation and um, it's been a wonderful thing because some kids are working in the industry now. Mm-hmm. I also just started my own network, which is the Unite Network. And it's meant to bring people together because we're in such a divided time in our society. So I'm trying to bring people together, no matter what race, what gender, what age, whatever, to let us talk about our commonalities. I mean, I can disagree with you politically. It doesn't mean I have to hate you. Just have a different opinion, you know? And yeah. so the Unite Network has several programs. And over the next uh, 90 days, the entire thing will be up, but we're launching it one step at a time. People like uh, Anthony Anderson and Cedric the Entertainer and other people are supporting me on this. And so it's been great. I've heard you speaking about the racial tension and the division in this country, which is still very relevant today and probably will be for the end of time hopefully not but i've heard about your stories and what you went through in your childhood and the stories that you learned about and the backstories of hearing about slavery and things do you feel as though things are getting a little better now that we have president biden in office and, and a little better because i know when we had our previous president i don't even want to say his name things were they were getting bad there at a time especially with the insurrection i think there are still insurrectionists around and they're planning things, but I think those of us who want peace have to start planning also. I think it's, it's not only political, it's personal. And so whoever we can impact and let them know 
if we have different opinions, it doesn't mean we have to hate each other. We should do that. Any way we can start communicating with people in a positive way, not only for our sake, but for the sake of our great-grandchildren, we should start doing it and take it seriously. I'm not saying I'm going to change the world, but as individuals, if we can do something, it's something. Make any sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It, you know, plenty of sense, 100%. And just hearing about your stories growing up, I just can't believe that even in 2021, hearing these stories, and it's what you went through, and the story of the bleach, I did hear about that. And thank God that you didn't take your life because we wouldn't have got all the great work from you. Thank you, brother. My, my, my mother came into the bathroom just at the right time because I was trying to, I had been called my first day in kindergarten, you know, black nigger and everything. And they made fun of me and I took it so personally. I came home and I got in the bathtub and they called Babo in those days and washed my skin with Babo. Mm-hmm. There's a cleanser, and then there was some bleach there, and I tried to drink the bleach, and my mother came in just in time. So it was an interesting time. Yeah. I've also heard the story about when you showed up to do some filming and directed for Dallas. They were asking you what you were delivering. Yeah, I came up to I came up to the security gate. I was the first black director on Dallas. And That's right. Um, I wrote my window down, and the security guy looks at me and he says, who are you delivering for? I said, what did you say? He said, who are you delivering for? I've said many times, I wanted to say, I'm about to deliver a can of whip ass to you. But I would have been the angry black man in Hollywood and never would have worked. And so instead I said, I'm delivering my talent as the first black director on Dallas. Could you please open the gate? The most satisfying thing with the look on his face. told it to him you didn't stand down that's the no. man that's the main thing that's right that's right but i didn't go into the anger mode you know what i'm saying yeah even though that it was well deserved to go that way yeah. but it was better not to i guess <laughs> much better not to. yeah do you feel as though that there are still incidents that go on right in racial tensions and such as what you experienced in going to dallas to direct today in today's day and time do you think there's still some incidents where that could happen this gentleman I know was at the Beverly Hills Hotel. He's a wealthy guy. Mm-hmm. And um, he came out of dinner and his wife went back in to go to the bathroom. And he was standing there. And this lady pulls up in her Mercedes. He has a suit on and she hands him her keys. <laughs> she, thought, <laughs> she thought he was the parking attendant. Oh my God. And he said, that was a great Mercedes. He, he wanted to get in it and drive it. He said, but no, he just gave it to the attendant. But yeah, it still happens. Unbelievable. It's, <laughs> it's still unbelievable. Even in 2021, it's, it's insane. It really is. I don't know why people sit back. I, I never understood it. And I grew up in a black community. I never understood how white people could sit there or any race, if there's any race, other races that may judge each other out there, how you can sit there and just judge someone on how they look and their color of their skin. I just don't get it. Me either, because you, you can't tell anything about a person by their appearance. 
I mean, you don't know them. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know anything about them. But you make assumptions based upon your, I don't know, judgments, your ego, whatever. But it's not good. No. It's not. And we're upset when people judge us, but we continue to judge everybody else. Got that right. Yeah, 100% got that right. I want to get into your backstory of growing up in Poughkeepsie, New York. That's where you were born. Poughkeepsie, New York is right between Albany and New York City on the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the fall, driving up the Taconic Parkway, man, in the fall, the trees turn colors. There's water. It's like really beautiful, beautiful. Poughkeepsie is known for Vassar College. Uh, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Estate, the Culinary, the CIA, Culinary Institute of America, Marist College, uh, IBM headquarters at one time, the Laval Separator Company. So, you know, it's an interesting place. Uh, a lot of people from the city are moving up to Poughkeepsie in those areas because how, how expensive it is to live in New York these days. So people are coming up to those places. It's like an hour and a half from New York. Are you still located in New York or do you live in LA? I live in LA. Um, I have a home in Poughkeepsie, which my sister lives in. But basically I'm based in LA because of the business. I go back and forth to New York and other places. I work in Atlanta, et cetera. So, you know, it depends on the job and depends on what's going on. Well, little did we know, especially if you're a Bill Duke fan, is that you actually started writing poetry at a young age and your teacher took your poetry book away and, and you didn't even know that she was submitting your poetry to talent contests. That's right. Um, at that time, I would say I was a racist because I'd been through so much with such discrimination. And so I did not like white people because, you know, what my parents went through in the South, yeah. lynchings and that and that, and my treatment etc. But uh, I, and I was, I have a disease called dyslexia. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it, it inhibited your speech, your reading abilities, those kinds of things. So I wasn't considered bright. And we had an Eng- English class and, you, and the, you know, the readers were put in three categories. There were the donkeys who were the poor readers, the bears who were better than the donkeys, and then the eagles which were the best readers. And they made you a donkey because they thought that you would aspire to become an eagle. But they knew nothing about dyslexia in those days. So once you're a donkey, you're a donkey. So uh, it's like I used to write in my journal, et cetera, da 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 And I used to write in my English class. And my English teacher, Ms. Walker, said, Mr. I said, Bill, do not write your journal while you're in class. And this was like, I felt just another racist white lady and, she was gonna not stop me from writing my journal. So as to write it at the end of the uh, class semester, she said, Duke, stay here. So I stayed in the room. I said, what do you want, Miss Walker? She said, give me that journal. I said, what, give me the journal. She took the journal and I said, she said, I told you to stop writing for taking this journal. I was so angry with her, I hated her so much. The next semester, the end of the class, she said, stay here. I said, Ms. Walker, what do you want? She went to her desk and brought out two books. One was the journal she had taken from me. 
And once the second was a national poetry contest. She had entered the poems of my book into a contest and I had won some prizes. <laughs> I was totally, this is a white woman yeah. which I'm supposed to hate. And she did this for me because she believed in me. The second thing that happened, and I say this all the time, is I went to Dutchess Community College and James Hall was the dean, was the head of president. Very strict, he was in the Navy and people didn't like him because he was so strict. And I got a scholarship from BU, from a Dutchess to Boston University, School of the Arts and Martin Luther King Scholarship. I went away for that year. The scholarship paid for my tuition, et cetera, but not for my room and books and food. So I decided I was gonna, you know, come back to Poughkeepsie and work for a year, make some money, it would pay for my food, my books and my rooms. So I went back to Dutchess to visit a friend of mine and Dr. Hall saw me in the hallway and says, hey Duke, come here. Went to his office and he said, uh, somebody told me that you were gonna leave BU. I said, yeah, Dr. Hall, you know, he gave me a scholarship for my room, for, for my, you know, my classes and stuff, but I can make money to pay for my food and books and stuff. He says, you're not, you're not gonna come back to Poughkeepsie and work. I said, Dr. Hall, I can't talk. He says, wait a minute. He goes into his vest pocket, pulls out an envelope and gives it to me. I said, what is this? He says, open it. It was a check that paid for my, my room, my board and food for the three years I was at BU. Wow. This was a white man that I was supposed to hate. <laughs> and I looked at him and he says, don't say nothing, I believe in you. And left his office and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. Because it made me look at the humanity of people and not what they appear to. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So from that moment, did you start thinking about where racism stems from? Do you think it's how someone is raised? Yes, I think yeah. not only how they're raised, but how they're treated. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be raised to be a certain way, but if you're treated like you're not equal or you're less, uh, you know, rejection, that creates a pain. And so you fight back, you try to adjust and adapt, but sometimes it's, it's difficult. Eventually, you went to TSA, NYU's TSA. School of the Arts. Yeah. NYU, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life because it was a great school. It really taught you the skill of acting and directing. I was lucky to be there. Lucky to be there. Uh, Lloyd Richards, one of the first black directors on Broadway, director Raising the Sun, he was my mentor. I, I, I discovered him in, at BU. And I followed him to NYU, became my mentor. And he got me my first jobs. And due to him, I, that's why I survived in the business. You love Broadway. You did Broadway plays. You love the theater. I think that's what gives you the edge, especially character actors and people that really play their roles well. Because I will say this, when you're on the screen, you're very intimidating. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. Well, theater, you know, I think you're so right. Theater gives you an understanding of the craft of acting. When you come on stage, you don't get a take one, two, or three. Mm -hmm. You got one take. Yeah. If you don't make it, guess what? 
you're out. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and I used to stand in the wings of the theater. I did Ain't Supposed Die After Death. And there were actors you never heard of. They never became famous. Some of the greatest actors I've ever seen in my life. And I just watched them and learned from them just watching them perform. So it, it was a great experience. Too. What do you think were some of the greatest actors that you saw in theater that helped your career out even from taking notes from them? Wow. Um, hard to remember exact names, but male and female. It was like, you know, I hate the word acting mm -hmm. because it makes you feel like it's pretending. Real actors don't act. They become mm. a person that the director and the writer requested them to become. The lady named B. Richards, for example, she was in the play. I used to watch her. She was, I mean, she became that human being, you know, and, and I, and it made me understand. I used to talk to those actors behind stage and they used to talk to me about the training and how they were upset because a lot of actors don't know the craft of it. It's a craft. There's a craft of acting that you have to study, a craft of directing, a craft of writing you should study, but everybody just thinks they can write, direct, and act, and, and they, they can, but it doesn't have the same depth if you don't study the craft of it. Acting was always your number one passion, but there was a big passion that you had for directing, but you were intimidated by the equipment, the cameras. Yes, sir. And eventually you were able to overcome that. Well, I, I, I directed my own plays and other plays when I was in New York and in LA too, but directing stage is that you know, one proscenium, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And, um, but the cameras, the lights, the staff, the crew, the sound equipment, I mean, it's, it's a, and I was in, I was in a show called, in, suppose, in a show called Palmerstown, USA, as an actor, as one of the leads. And after the show ended, I didn't, I didn't work for two years. Wow. And so I said to myself, you know something? You better get over that fear. So I applied for the American Film Institute. And AFI gave me the craft of directing. It really made me understand that. You know, it, it was an incredible experience. One of the first black directors, actually, in television. Yes. Congratulations. That's major. That's history. Yes, yes. Yes, it was. Michael, the great Michael Schultz also. Mm -hmm. Roy Campanella Jr. Ivan Dixon. Those are some of the greats. Miami Vice, The Twilight Zone. You had your own experiences yeah. on The Twilight Zone. Yes, The Twilight Zone. Um, Miami Vice, um, it, you know, in those days, you know, remember when I directed uh, Dallas and the first day I met Larry Hagman, he said, welcome, Mr. Duke. I'm glad you're here. Looking forward to working with you. And he said, we're going to get along well as long as you have me out by three o'clock every day. I had him out by 2.30. <laughs> 
was he was a great person. He really did. One of your first films, actually, Car Wash. Yes. Dua Muhammad Akbar. Dwayne. Yes. Michael Schultz, the great director, was still directing and producing. Um, Richard Pryor, the Puna Sisters. Mm -hmm. George Carlin. Uh, Danny DeVito. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but which it was that was that was I was in awe every day because working with those people who already had names was amazing. It's a great, it was, it was a collaboration, you know. Huge film. Classic. Yeah, for those days, it was a first, you know. Mm -hmm. A black film was kind of a musical and a drama at the same time, and Michael was able to put those together, you know. Mm -hmm. I think he did a great job. Yeah. Still brought up today. People remember it like it was yesterday. It's a classic. Yes. It's up there. Yes. Car Wash. I really enjoyed Car Wash. And I still enjoy it when I see it today. I mean, Movies were made so much better back then in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They were just, I don't know, there's something about it. I can sit down and I can watch Predator and say, this movie, there's nothing like it today. And we'll, we'll get into that. But I want to get into American Gigolo because you had the, the chance to work alongside Richard Gere. Great Richard, man. He was great people to work with. He didn't give a hundred, he gave a thousand percent. When he came to the set, he was the character. He was prepared, just waiting for the cameras to roll. And when the set cut, he stayed in character. He's cordial. He would ask me, the actor, hey, is Bill's anything I can do different to make it? He said, this is Richard Gere asking me <laughs> if there's anything he could do better to make the scene better. It was like incredible. Who would you say was the most humble person that you worked with on set? Because I've heard your experiences with Mel Gibson and you, we hear the, the lavish comments that he makes, but he was actually a very nice and professional person on the set. Mel Gibson was one of the most professional, supportive, compassionate and collaborative actors I've ever worked with. There was no ego. He just came to work and you know, he, he just wanted the scene to be the best it could. And so, you know, whatever the director asked him to do, he did it. And, 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 and the thing about Mel was, you know, people think acting is what you say. That's part of it. But it's also what you do. When Mel, you work with Mel, he listens to everything you say. And he bases his behavior on what you spoke and how you spoke. He's not, he's not remembering his lines. He's responding to you, the other actor. It's great working with him. And that's something I've heard you say in interviews before is that that's what's the key in acting is that you, it's all your reaction of what the other person says. It's like music, you know. Do you know the most important things in music are the rests? between yeah. notes. If you don't That's have right. rest, you just have ongoing sound. But when you have rest, you can hear the other notes because, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're saying. 1985, you get the opportunity to work along probably one of the biggest stars of all time in Hollywood, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando as Cook. Yes. 
Arnold was great. Arnold was and is great people. I mean, he, Arnold, like, um, at the top of his game, he treated everybody with respect. It wasn't like I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger and I have an ego and you're less, no. And when we did Predator um, in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, Arnold bought out the two ballrooms and had tractor and trailer trucks bring, bring gyms and he put the gyms in the ballrooms. And every day, Arnold's Sonny and the other actors used to get up at around four in the morning. Work out? And no, they run for a mile or two. Wow. And then they come back and they'd be in the gym for an hour or two. And then they'd eat breakfast. And then they'd get on the bus and go to the set. I did it for one week. That was it. And they called you a wimp because of that, pretty much. A wimp, wussy. (laughs) Guess what? I'm sleeping. Sorry. (laughs) We had a great time. Two legendary films. Commando. How did it feel to fight Arnold Schwarzenegger in that motel room? It was great. You know, I had a stunt guy that did a lot of my falls and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was like. Every move, he went over with me over and over and over again so that we're not going to hurt each other or anything and look like we were punching. Them. So, but he wasn't afraid for the rehearsals, the choreography, none of that. He just was, you know, how can I say, professional. You set the tone in the beginning of that movie when you're picking up the garbage. Every time I, I bring the garbage to the end of my driveway, I think about that scene. <laughs> I don't have a gun anymore, so don't worry. <laughs> uh, I do I'm think not, about I'm that. Sure. I'm not going to show up, okay? No. <laughs> I do. I always think about that. What if the garbage men come in there and they have bandanas on? You never know. You never know these days. Yeah, no, you, you never do. But Commando, you were able to work alongside David Patrick Kelly, who was in The Warriors. Yes. It was a great crew and cast, man. It was Alyssa like, Milano, I think you you pushed her in the wheelchair. Yes, yes. It, it, it was it was a it was a. I've been very fortunate to work with some great actors and great directors. Yeah, like John McTiernan, man. He talking about camera language. You know, um, brilliant. And um, Paul, what's his name? Um, that directed Blue. Um, he directed um, Richard Gere, myself. Remember the director's name? I can't remember the director's name off the top of my head. It was great. It was great. 1987, you get to you get to you get to act with Arnold Schwarzenegger again in Predator, and this is this is a classic. This movie, and and you're not a big horror movie guy because this is considered a sci-fi horror movie, right? No, but I love working with them, and I think you you know the Predator you saw was not the original Predator, right? Oh, really? It wasn't. 
Oh, no, no, no. I thought, oh, I thought you might know this. No, it was a much smaller cre creature, more ambidextrous, loose. And, and the actor that was playing that part, they put him on wires. He could fly through trees. Mm -hmm. He could fly and everything. But he had this, this uh, felt suit on that they were going to superimpose the special effects on later. Mm -hmm. And it was over 100 degrees in part of our used to fly through the trees and he got dehydrated twice and fell to the ground and passed out. Wow. The producer comes over to him and says, listen, I understand, but you pass out again. I'm firing you. The guy says, I I'm not passing out on purpose. I'm dehydrated. Yeah. Producer, I understand that. If you pass out again, it costs me time and money. Two weeks go by. The guy passes out again. The producer comes over and fires him. That was Jean-Claude Van Damme. Then Kevin Peter Hall comes in. Yes. That was Jean-Claude Van Damme's first job in Wow. I never knew that because when I see the end credits, I always see Kevin Peter Hall played the Predator. Right. He did. That, he, was the, he was the final Predator. But the first person who was hired to do it, that was Jean-Claude. I never knew that. And we ate bugs. First people were there. I think you've read that in my book, probably. How there would be bugs in our food, and we tell the, the character to take it back when I'm eating this junk. But he was saying, I got netting. I'm doing the best I can. But the second week was called protein. <laughs> so there was no more food to eat. I love how the predator, they used your lines in that movie when he was talking. When you heard him in the scenes where he was in the predator mode, you could hear the lines anytime after you killed the scorpion off of Dylan's shoulder, played by Carl Weathers. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. The predator stole my line. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I'm kind of curious. How, how come you're not a big horror movie guy? Because Predator is, as I said before, it's a sci science fiction horror movie. Well, um, I don't dislike horror movies. I just hard to find. The thing about Predator, it was a great script. Mm. You know, it wasn't just about people dying and being killed by this monster. You were introduced to all the characters and their brotherhood, and you felt something for their humanity. And so as each of them, and was brilliantly done, they didn't have the predator kill everybody at the same time. He killed them one at a time. He brought the brotherhood closer together. It, it was just brilliantly put together. Shane Black, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, your lines in that, especially when you pull up on Carl Weathers and you sit and you tell him you're ghosting us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, yes, yes. That was fun. That was fun, man. A good time. Hard work, but good time. Or how about when when you you're off, you're running off, and you're singing Little Richard? Yes. Have <laughs> some fun tonight. I <laughs> mean, some fun tonight. I didn't know the predator was going to get me. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you warned Carl Weathers. You warned him. You said, "I see you," because you pulled him back, and you, and you told right. him, "I see you." That's right. That's right. But he got me anyway. Yeah, he did. He, he got everyone except for Arnold. Yes. 
Arnold got him. Yeah. It, 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 I thought that the way they unfolded it and the way the film was edited, directed, um, and written was really well done. Because in those days, they stood, understood two things mm-hmm. that is missing today in most films. The story arc of the film, which has a beginning, middle, and end, and the character arcs, which have a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. You don't see that much. These days. You don't. How was Jesse Ventura on the set? Oh, man. No, Jesse the body Ventura. Yeah, he was a wrestler, too. Yes, yes, yes. Jesse was great people, man. Funny, too. Great sense of humor. You know, made us all laugh. We, we had a good time. It was hard, man. They had special agents working with us, showing us how those units really worked, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, we'd crawl on our bellies through the jungle, coral snakes that could kill you, passing in front of our noses, scorpions, spiders. But we survived. That's the main thing. Now, the scorpion that was on Carl Weathers' shoulder, was that real? No. no. Okay. It was it was real and that it was real, but I think they, they killed it, you know, with some kind of fluid or something. Just put it there. Just think, the year after, Action Jackson. Yes. Carl Weathers. Two films with Schwarzenegger and two films with Carl Weathers. Yes, yes. That was fun. That was fun. Carl's a great thinker, you know. He's a great director, writer, producer, actor. I mean, he really leverages all those disciplines with benefit. And he's good at all of them, which is, which is rare in our industry. And Arnold, I believe that you served, when, when Arnold became governor, you have actually served under him. You were on the board I believe at Howard University, is that right, for TV, film, and radio? Yes, I was, I was, I was um, the head of the Department of Radio, Television, and Film at that time. And uh, Arnold also appointed me to, uh, in uh, Sacramento, forgot the position, but, you know, I was on a, with um, Clint Eastwood. Hmm. He appointed both of us to the Film Commission. Hmm. And we used to go down to be in the meetings and stuff and come back and you know it was great arnold really looks out for you he's great people man he's good people good heart good person so we had a good time how was clint i've heard the stories about clint eastwood i've heard some heard some negative ones in which way i've heard he's he said some racial things i have heard that before I don't know how true it is, but I've heard either his political views. I've heard some things about Clint. Yeah, well, you know, I've never seen him do that. Mm-hmm. And I know he was best friend with Danny Glover for years. Wow. And, um, of course, his political stance is different from mine uh, when Obama ran. Uh, but, you know, he has a right to his own opinions and his own position. He does. He's a great actor and director, a producer and writer. Yeah. And he's still going today. He's been going since he's been, he started in the Spaghetti Westerns. He's still going. What's he working on these days? I haven't checked recently, but the last thing I saw him direct and, and act in was Gran Torino. Uh-huh. 
I haven't seen it. How is it? A good movie? It's a good movie, but it's it's. I don't think it would last in this day and age. There's a lot of racial terms in it, which I was very surprised. I was surprised. I said, if this came out in 2020, I said, this probably wouldn't have flown. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's why it made sense when I've heard the stories about Clint Eastwood and you hear about his political views. I said, how was your experience? But it was all positive, which is good. Yes, it was positive. Rage in Harlem, Deep Cover, Hoodlum. These are your films. Now you get into the directing stage of film. How was that the first time actually being behind the camera? Well, I start off in TV, which- That's right too, yeah. And you had seven days of prep and seven days of shoot. So that, so when I got a feature film, my first film, uh, The Killing Floor, which, by the way, which is, I'm getting a Lifetime Achievement Award in Cannes. Congratulations. It's happening right now. I wish I could be there, but I couldn't go. Mm-hmm but they're giving me a Lifetime Achievement Award and my film, uh, The Killing Floor, is being celebrated there. And um, I uh, also, a film called The Vandal, which I'm acting in, is being celebrated at Cannes. So I've been very fortunate mm-hmm. to work with some great people and yeah, being recognized is great. What's your favorite film that you directed? What's the film that you're most proud of? Wow, that's that's a hard one. Because you have some great ones. Deep Cover is my favorite. That <laughs> thank you, thank you. Deep Cover is one of my favorites. Hoodlum Two and Sister Act Two. Starring Whoopi Goldberg. Yes, that was an amazing experience. And Hoodlum working with Lawrence again and all those great people. Tim Parents Roth. Tim Roth. Oh my God. Andy Garcia. Mm-hmm. You know, that was thrill. Classic. And because of you, we have one of the greatest soundtracks of all time and song in deep cover created by Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so grateful to them for their collaboration because they really, that was the core of the film, that music. Because it was street with humanity, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that, that, Made the whole thing worthwhile, so to speak. I believe Jay-Z and Sauce Money, I believe it's Sauce Money's song, they did a song called Pregame. They actually sampled Deep Cover. Really? Yeah, no. they sampled they sampled the parts in the movie from it because you can hear a Lawrence Fishburne in it. You can you can hear certain scenes from the movie in the beginning of it. How long ago was this? This was that would have came out either in nineteen ninety-eight or two thousand because Sauce Money's I think believe the album's called Pregame. I'm pretty sure. Or no, Middle Finger You. Middle Finger You. That's the name of the album. Gotcha, gotcha. But on the the intro of that song, they, they take some of the movie and put it in the beginning. Right. I love I love Deep Cover. Really good. Classic. No work on it. And you don't get hip-hop like that anymore either because I know you were a big listener of Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg during that time, as well as Tupac. Yeah, I mean, those, yes, in those days, they were classic stuff, you know, great lyrics, etc. One of my favorites is Common, too. Common. Common, man. Just great lyrics, great music. Um, and um, 
what's his name? Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls. Uh, also, um, Ice Cube. Ice Cube. Nas. KRS One. Oh yeah, with Boogie Down Productions. One of the greatest ever. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I know he's controversial, mm-hmm. but people don't know this. But Kanye West, mm-hmm. one of the greatest lyricists. All falls down. That's one of the songs that you reference a lot. All falls down, and you and you you know another great one, crack music. Mm-hmm. If you get a chance, to listen to crack music, man. It's one of Kanye's best. Oh yeah. I love it. Speaking of rappers, you had the chance to play Marcus's father, played by 50 Cent on Get Rich or Die Trying. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That was fun. He's a brilliant dude. That's right. That's where you learn that he was a great businessman because he understood distribution and how to really earn revenue and put it in the businesses. Still does. Yeah. (laughs) TV show and everything. Yeah, he's exceptional smart talented you know i'm glad to see him still going what was the last time that you spoke with 50 cent oh years ago man years ago yeah you know a lot of the folks we don't keep in touch you know unfortunately i celebrate everything he's doing yeah powers a huge success story for him yes yes yeah a thousand percent yeah good stuff man another great lyricist Great lyricists, meaningful music with heart, you know, not just lyrics, but they talk about something. Yep. Now you turn on the hip hop stations today, you can't even understand what's going on. <laughs> and it's a whole, you know, it's, it's beats. Yeah. And it's booty shaking. <laughs> I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying it's not the same. No. We're far along removed from Chuck D and Public Enemy. Oh, man, come on. I wish they were back. Yeah. <laughs> now, that was good hip-hop, important hip-hop, where people actually used their voices for good. That's right. KRS-One did that. He was the, he was the master that came out. He was. Yep. So was Biggie. Yeah. They, they, spoke, they, spoke, they spoke their hearts. Mm-hmm. Talked about a lot of stuff. They did. Rakim was important too. Yeah. Important. You know, things change. Yeah. Things evolve. <laughs> 1991, Menace to Society releases, and everyone knows you for the famous scene. Do you know wherever I go in the world, I'm talking about, I mean, of all the things I've done, that one line, <laughs> I was in Japan. And these kids are walking down the block and I'm walking the other way. And they say, oh, you build Duke, you build Duke, you build Duke. I say, yeah, how you doing? They look at me and say, you know you don't poke up, right? They couldn't say the F word. They said, you know you don't poke up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love seeing the comments online. They said that your performance in that was menacing. No pun intended, but <laughs> your performance in that was menacing. Yeah, well, he, he's supposed to give me information he didn't give me. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> I, know he's, I know he's lying. 
He's lying, look at my face, I'm lying, look in your eye and starts lying. Nah, nah, nah. I got a gun on the table too. Yeah. <laughs> Bad choice. I love how when you just go right into that room and you put the gun on the table, you listen here, you little bitch. As soon as you sit down. Because <laughs> 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 he, then he understands. Yeah. You know? You had to set the mood to get the answer straight, but he was... He was too, he was too nervous. Yeah. Tyron Turner, what did he say to you off screen after that scene took place? He just laughed and had a good time. He's like... The Hughes brothers, great writers, directors, producers, man. They're still doing things, right? The Hughes brothers? Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. It was great working with them. That one small scene, when people think of Bill Duke, they always run to that scene. It's insane. It's just, even you said it. When you're in Japan, people coming up to you, and they, they say that line, not with the F word, though. Yeah. Well, they try to say the F word, but they don't, they didn't know how, he didn't know how to pronounce the F word. Mm-hmm. So he said, Puck, you don't know you don't poked up. <laughs> so whatever. Yeah. Classic, classic, classic lines. Mandy. Gotta touch Mandy. How's that experience? That's something that you're very proud of too. Yeah, it was it was a it was it was a joy working with Nicholas. You know, he's consummate professional. Um, comes prepared, no ego, and um, but that scene we had together, I really loved it, you know, because after they killed his wife, man, it was lady. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't care what he had to do, he was going to get revenge. I just worried about him because, you know, he wasn't thinking clearly, just emotion. I try to get him to, hey man, you know how you feel, but be careful. Red Dragon is something I'm interested in hearing your story in because you actually served as a police, I believe in a, a lieutenant or police officer that you were in that. It was a while ago, right? Yeah, with Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. Yes. No, that was not Red Dragon, wasn't that? Um, I forgot. Do you have a Do you have an Anthony Hopkins story? Not really. Um, it, it was um, if it worked with Anthony Hopkins, you just you better come with your game, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's strict. No, it's like you know the people that are so prepared. Mm-hmm that it's intimidating because they could be talking to you one second, then there's a character the next second. <laughs> boom, boom. Because they give everything. There are actors that can do that. Not everybody can do that. No. One of the iconic performances is Hannibal Lecter. Going back to even thinking about Deep Cover in 2001 when we get Training Day, because you had Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre do the soundtrack, especially with the song Deep Cover, Training Day, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre were both in it. Did you ever think about casting Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg in a movie of your own? I'm working on a movie right now that I would love to have um, 
Snoop be a part of when we're talking to him. So we'll see if it works out. I'm directing it, so we'll see what happens. Snoop Dogg's a, he's, he's a funny personality. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a brilliant businessman, too. Mm-hmm. Plus, he gives back to our community. That's right. Because he's got, he's got a football team, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The young kids and stuff, and he gives back. And I always applaud that, always. It's important to give back, always. You got it, man. Yeah. You do, everyone does, because it. I feel as though if you don't give back, there's something wrong with you. You got you to gotta feel something for people. I think so. I would hope so, you know? Yeah. Not everybody comes off that way, unfortunately. So. No. Who are some other actors that you're looking to cast in your movies? Who's someone that you really want that you haven't casted throughout your career? I'd love to work with Sam or Denzel. Um, if I had the privilege of working with Meryl Streep, mm. um, one of the greatest ever, 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 ever. Did you see her in Sophie's Choice? Mm-hmm. She seen had- that on TV before. When he's at the train station and she's trying to get on the train with the kids, mm-hmm. and the guard says, No, only two of you can go. He said, Well, take the kids. And he says, No, no, adult. An adult has to go and the child has to go. Make a choice. Her face, her being at that moment of a mother having to make that decision was so incredible. I mean, she's just a great actress anyway. A method actress. She's incredible, man. And that's what you are, method actor, because there's there's roles that you you see the emotion, roles that you've cried in, serious roles where you set the tone in the beginning, such as Menace to Society, as soon as you're in the scene. Mm-hmm. That's real talent, which you don't get anymore. I think that's the edge from being on the stage. You're right, right. And studying the craft of acting, the craft of acting, being on stage in front of an audience live, it's a whole different experience. Whole different be, ball game. Gotta be prepared. Gotta be able to do it. Would, if would that be the number one advice? You probably say that to the students that you have is get get experience on the stage as much as you can first, and then get into the film and television. Yes. I wish people would listen to that because stage is a whole different deal. I mean, they measured the average attention span today. Do you know what it is? What is it? I'm sure it's <laughs> a millisecond. Eight seconds. Wow. So Shakespeare is not so popular. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do a two-page Shakespearean monologue on stage in front of an audience, it's a whole different deal. It is. Whole different deal. Not everyone can remember it. Nope. Or be it at that time. Yeah. I think the most, one of the most important things that you did throughout your career was your book, my 40 year career on screen and behind the camera. Yeah. Um, writing a book is, I got two more, as I told you coming out, mm-hmm. um, but writing a book, you know, what you do is there's two aspects to it. There's your career. And that's the easy part because you know you can look that up. But when it comes to your personal life, though, 
uh, you always want to edit. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, it took me a while to be vulnerable with that, but I'm glad I did. Why? That's the most important question there is. You believe that life is a contradiction. Well, every day, um, Wayne Dyer is an inspirational speaker that I listen to on YouTube. And he says, every day we wake up, we have one of two choices. We can be a host to God or a hostage to our ego. He said ego, E-G-O, means edging God out. I'd rather be on the other side. Make any sense? Does. Because this is a this, this is a business of rejection. And if you read my book, you'll see that the pain was people take it over the pain of rejection, but it's not easy. So to deal with the symptoms of pain, I was on drugs and, and alcohol going down fast. Then I found transcendental meditation from a friend of mine, Nita Tengamana. Mm-hmm. And I haven't I haven't taken a drug since. And that was like Many, many, many years ago. What's some important advice that you can give to young students out there or even young aspiring actors that when they face rejection to not go down that lane and taking drugs to deal with rejection or even just to just keep pushing forward when you do get that rejection? Well, today there's something called social media. Mm -hmm. So my advice is stop waiting to be discovered and discover yourself. If you have an idea and you've studied and have a small script or whatever, if you have a camera and a light and a little sound system, you can make a movie. I made a film with Steven Soderbergh Soderberg, called High Flying Bird. It's on Netflix now. He flew us to New York and shot <coughs> a feature film in a couple of weeks with five iPhone 7 Pluses. He shot it with five iPhones. When, he, when they did the ballet shots, they rolled them around in the wheelchair. So if Steven Spielberg, I mean, if, if Steven Soderbergh does it, what is stopping you? I mean, look at Issa Rae, look at, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, it started off as webisodes. Now they have TV deals. So a lot of people, young people, waiting to be discovered. No, they shouldn't. They should go to school, study the craft, and use their cell phone to make their movies. Mm-hmm. When I came up, there was no social media. And I had one of the first cell phones. You know how big it was? It was one of those big phones that you see in the picture from back in the day. Yeah, they carry it with a box. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. There was no, there was no internet. There was no social media. But today, come on, nothing is stopping us. Do you feel as though social? Because I have this theory. I'm someone that loves. I wish I grew up in the '80s and '90s. I really do in the '70s. Do you feel as though that technology has kind of degraded movies and entertainment? Because I feel as though the music isn't the same. The movies aren't as great. There's just something about when you look back to the older decades. There's just it isn't the same. Well, there's a craft that people have dismissed. It's a craft. It's not just do it. No, it's a craft. It's something that you study. It's something that you 
nobody wants to study the craft, you know, um, because it's not easy to do. Um, you got to really study. You have to take it seriously. You have to be willing to spend hours and hours and hours and hours um, studying the craft. I mean, not everybody wants to. There was a pastor friend of mine told me one time he said, one Sunday he said, everybody wants to go to heaven, stand up and sing hallelujah. And 500 people stood up and shouted. And he said, calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down. So everybody who wants to die, stand up and sing hallelujah. Nobody stood up. So, so I have a question. How are you going to get to heaven if you don't die? See, a lot of folks want to go to heaven. Yeah. They don't want to do the work. It takes work. Yeah, there are, there are child prodigies, etc., but that's not the norm. It's the workers, the people who are willing to work. So, I mean, that's just my way of looking at it. That's why we need you to stay alive and keep giving us great movies and entertainment because one of the great directors, well, not just actors, but one of the great directors in film. Thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate that very much. I really do. I'm still working, thank God, and trying to put it out there. Yeah. When you look back on your entire career, this is heading into the closing here. What film do you think was your most difficult or what role that you had during your time throughout your film filmography? You look back at your roles. What, what role was your most difficult? As a director? As an actor. I would say car wash because it was kind of a confession. I was that person. I was that angry young black man. And to, 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 to cry at the end of that movie and, and ex expose my emotions about that character, it took a lot because I, I didn't want to be vulnerable. I wanted to just to be tough and rough and I hate these people, that, 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 that. The writer and Michael Schultz, the director, said, hey, Bill, this gives him his humanity. And so I did it, and I'm glad I did it, but I'm not going to lie, it wasn't easy. Mm. Especially when you have to cry at the end of your role. That's Not everyone can do that, especially, and you buy your performance. That's the thing. A lot of people, you think, oh, here we go. They're faking it. You can see right through it, but you actually buy your performance. Yes, yes, yes. Thank God, yes. Yeah. Very fortunate. Very fortunate. In, your, in your character and the importance of that character, did you ever get to work with Spike Lee throughout your career? Never. I, I hope that happens in the future because I think you two together... It'll be fun. That would be something to see. It'd be, fun. It'd be fun. A powerful film. Yes. Well, I'd love to work with Spike. You never know. You never know. What's your proudest achievement throughout your whole 
career in the film business, your proudest achievement? The proudest achievement, I think, is my foundation. Duke Media Foundation. To give that, if you want to, people want to give or see my foundation, go to dukemediafoundation.org, dukemediafoundation.org. Uh, we need people to support us, to donate to us. We teach children two things, media literacy in terms of how this business is changing, which we just talked about, and the jobs that are going to exist and those that are going to exist and not going to exist. So going from film and television to media, which is a whole different deal. And then we teach them financial literacy. People are taught how to spend a dollar and how to use a dollar. We teach them what is the Federal Reserve, what's the FDIC, what is, what is saving, what is debt, what is compound interest, what is credit. You know, uh, we teach those two things for almost 10 years. So I'm proud of it. So legacy I want to leave. An important legacy, and you'll be remembered for and then paving the way for Black directors, Black actors, and all your work in the film industry. Everyone appreciates for what you do. Bill Duke, is there anything else you'd love to tell the audience in the show? Any upcoming projects that you're working on that you can speak about, as well as any announcements with Duke Media Foundation, anything? A couple of things. Um, my network, the Unite Network, uh, you'll see the first page up now. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to come up with shout outs and we'll have programs up in the next week, or two weeks or three weeks. Let people to check that out. Um, also, do you like quotes? Mm -hmm. I do. My three favorite quotes, I'll leave you with that, okay? Mm -hmm. Aspire to inspire before you expire. That's number one. Number two, if a man does not seek humility, humility will seek the man. And number three, in your lifetime, you will never see a smaller package than a person wrapped up in themselves. The last thing I'll tell you is a short joke, okay? Uh -huh. A little black boy is helping his mother bake a cake. Gets white flour all over his entire face, his hands, his body. He says to his mommy, Mommy, look, what, sweetheart? I'm a little white boy. Boom, hits him on his butt. What did I do? Go tell your father what you just said. Goes into his father's room. Hey, daddy, daddy. Yeah, son. I'm a little white boy. Boom, hits him on his butt. Go to your grandmother's room. Tell you what she just said. Goes into his grandmother's room. Ma, grandma, grandma. Yes, sweetheart. I'm a little white boy. Boom, hits him on his What did I do? goes back to his mother. His mother says, what did you just learn? What lesson did you just learn? Little boy said, what I just learned is I only been white for five minutes and I hate you black people already. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's my joke of the day. <laughs> five minutes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man bill duke i want to thank you for coming on the show here today it was a true honor it was a true honor great to be here great questions thank you for giving me your time i appreciate it very much okay yeah thanks for having me man i appreciate it oh yes for sure you, you know you're always welcome on the show anytime you have any new work 
that you want to promote and discuss. I know you have a lot of things planned for the future, the upcoming books, things with Duke Media Foundation. I stay in touch with what you do. And anytime you want to come back on the show for an interview, we can promote what you have. Appreciate it, man. God bless you and thank you, okay? You too. Enjoy the rest of your night, Bill Duke. I appreciate it. You will. Thank you. You too.